Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM, let's create. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to be talking about creeps. Yes. About creeps, creepiness, the nature of creepiness, and what makes creeps creepy. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the end we will find uh, a way to love the creep, too, because there's a little bit of a creep in all of us. Yes, this will give everyone the chance to connect with their inner creep. And I think also like rethink their creep analysis, their creep judgments that they've passed uh, uh, in in, uh, in pre- Previous times. Okay, so Robert, I want to test our intuitions a little bit about okay. creepiness uh, by running a few scenarios by you, because creep, cr- creep is a word we apply intuitively. Creepy is a word we imply intuitively, but sometimes it's hard to make a distinction. Like, wh- what is creepiness? What is a creep, and how is it different than like a scary guy or a terrifying situation? Yeah, a, a creep, a creeper, if you will, creeping. Uh, is, is it sometimes referred? Okay. Le, uh, let me know what you think about this. Okay. You're standing in line at the bank and a man with a hunting rifle runs in the door, aims the rifle straight at your face and shouts at everybody in the room, freeze, hands up. Is that creepy? Not creepy. That's terrifying, scary, traumatic, but not creepy. I totally agree. Not creepy at all. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one. You go out for a walk with your dog and when you get back home, somebody has taped a handwritten note to your front door that says, why do you take such long walks? That 
I could see that being that is bullseye creepy to me. It's, but I, I wonder if that goes beyond creepy and is like outright scary because under under what scenario is that a valid act by somebody? Is that under under for what reason would that be possibly be okay for someone to leave that note on your door? Well, I mean, it, creepy things aren't necessarily okay. I mean, we're just testing our intuitions. Come on. Surely your gut says that's creepy. Mine does. I I think that would be like hard creepy. This would be okay. this would be creepy bordering on frightening because I'm going to immediately be concerned about my surroundings. I'm going to be I'm going to start looking for dead rabbits. Okay. And uh, and so forth. Okay. I got another one. Your company has been downsizing recently. You arrive at work one day to receive an email from your boss that just says, "Please come see me in my office first thing this morning." Is that um, creepy? It's not creepy. No. It's certainly anxiety uh, um, producing, but not uh, not creepy. Right. So Scary ob- even, but not creepy. Obviously, there's something that can be a, a strong indicator of anxiety. It can even be kind of ambiguous in a way, but that's not creepy. Okay. So how about you're at a funeral for a close friend's recently dead relative, and as you approach the open casket to pay your respects, the person in the casket opens her eyes and starts screaming. Not creepy. No. No, that's outright terrifying, and I'm probably losing my mind. Right. Okay, one more. You're on a train or a bus, uh, and a man comes and sits down next to you. He begins rummaging around in his backpack, and out of the backpack he produces a doll and then sits there in his seat brushing the doll's hair. Is that creepy? I think it depends entirely how into the brushing he is. Like... (laughs) Because I've been having ridden the train quite a bit. You, you do see some strange behaviors now and then. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's just the, the attitude of the person can sell you on it. So I can easily imagine a dude who's just kind of like tired and he like pulls a doll out and he's combing its hair. And if the vibe is this is just something this guy does every day, mm-hmm. he has to do it. I don't know why. Maybe his for his job, he has to have this this doll properly groomed. Right. Maybe he's a professional doll groomer. Yeah. So if it, if that's the case, I would say not creepy. However, if he's getting it out and like lovingly stroking its hair and whispering to it while he uh, while he grooms it, then, yes, that would be creepy. Yeah. What if he's just singing a little bit? Yeah. Singing. Does yeah. the, does that enhance the creepiness? Uh, if it's like a lullaby, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what if he's singing Bon Jovi? Less creepy, I guess. <laughs> it, it, this is the thing. It gets difficult and you start, it, you, you're, you're trying to find the, figure out the, the why behind right. a scenario. Uh-huh. What's up with this individual? Why are they doing the thing that they're doing? Why are they behaving like this? Why are they dressed like this? And your mind's just just crunching it, processing it as fast as 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 it can, and then you have to decide creepy or not creepy. Right. Uh, okay. So all these things that they're going to get some kind of fear response, like we talked about, but they're not all creepy. And mm-hmm. likewise, the creep as a person is a particular figure, but different than a monster, or maybe different than a dangerous person, or a scary guy, or a predator. Even though we very strongly have this idea of what a creep is. Though it may be very ambiguous to us. It's right. And the vague, cre- hazy thing. Right. And the creep, especially in fiction, the creep may turn out to be monster. The creep may turn out to be hero. An example that instantly comes to mind, Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Creepy character, but he ends up... uh it ends up not being the threat and ends up saving the day. So you think he's a creep, but then he, he, he turns out to be a good guy. Is he still a creep after you know he's a good guy? No, because the th- I for the most part, not, I would guess, because uh-huh. the, the threat analysis uh, uh, has been fully computated. He's proven himself to be a non-creep. OK, well, let's get into the 
the the literary history of the creep a little bit. Uh, first of all, I, I was wondering how long has the word creepy been in English? It uh, it seems to get a lot more mileage than it ever has before. But from what I could tell, it dates back at least to Charles Dickens, who some sources have alleged coined the term. And it appears in David Copperfield. Did you ever read David Copperfield? I never have. Yeah. So uh, 1849, Dickens writes of a character named Mrs. Gummidge, which is a great creepy name. Yeah. Dickens is great at those. Quote, she was constantly complaining of the cold and of its occasioning a visitation in her back, which she called the creeps. Okay, so it's not it, it it's a little bit removed from our current usage of the word. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it, it, this means like a physical sensation, mm-hmm. and it's mostly unrelated to the way we use it now. But I do want to make a side note that Dickens, by the way, is full of great creeps. Oh yeah, uh, like of any author in English. There's creeps everywhere and they're great. Who's the uh, child catcher in Oliver? Oliver in Oliver Twist. I can't remember. Child catcher. Yeah. Or I keep there are a lot of I remember in uh, in Oliver Twist, it describes uh, it decri- describes Noah Claypool as eel like. <laughs> I think he's a creep. Oh, man. I, I'm blanking on the name of this character. I'm sure someone will remind us. Uh, yeah. But by now, of course, the creeps, creepiness and, of course, the person who is a creep has come to mean something very different. Right. Uh, and from my experience, the concept of creepiness is utterly pervasive in everyday conversation. We we talk about it all the time. The creep is a standard type of person we encounter and under the wrong circumstances or with a bit of bad luck or awkward behavior, we are all ourselves sometimes the creep. Yeah, and I think this is an important thing to drive home. No matter how handsome or suave you happen to think you are, no matter how harmless uh, you think your appearance or demeanor happens to be, no matter how chill you are, you have come off as a creep at some point in the past. Absolutely. You have acted weird. We've all acted weird. Sometimes it's creepy. But we definitely do live in the age of creepiness. Uh, This is something that a couple of writers we're going to talk about today have alluded to. But I decided to do a Google Ingram search for creepy. You know, the Ingram Mm -hmm. viewer where it'll it'll chart the usage of a word throughout printed literature uh, across a long period of time. And so I looked at uh, the word creepy from the year 1800 until 2008. And it's interesting. There's sort of a rising and falling bell curve of creepy usage from about 1900 to 1940. And then creepy goes dormant through the 50s and 60s. I wonder why that is. But then around 1970, 1980, it begins to rise again. And then there is this dramatic, precipitous spike way above the norm coming up to the 2000s. So for some reason, the millennium is the millennium of creepiness. (laughs) Well, that sounds about right. But maybe we can get a better idea of what the creep is, who the creep is, if we just look at some great uh, examples of creeps for for context. OK, sure. Um, well, I'll start off by mentioning that uh, the name of the character from Oliver Twist came to mind, and that's Fagin. Fagin. Yeah. Oh, of course. So is Fagin uh, a creep, though. I don't know if Fagin's a creep. Noah Claypool's a creep. But mm, Fagin. I rem- see. I remember being in a musical uh, like a community theater musical version of Oliver uh-huh. and uh, our our drama teacher played Fagin, and I felt like he did a, a very creepy take on Fagin. So that's the one that's, that's stuck in my mind. He, he was great in it. Wait, I guess when you think about the details of it, it is truly creepy. He's yeah. this guy who collects an army of little children who he, yeah. Yeah, it's, he's, yeah. he's kind of a creep. But, but certainly there are some more iconic creeps that instantly come to mind. So have you seen the, the Lonely Island video for Do the Creep? 
Yes. Uh, was it SNL? Or uh, it, it, well, they, they sort of came out of SNL. Okay. Uh, and then they like, did uh, this album with all these videos. Yeah. Yeah. It's got uh, uh, Andy Samberg and Nicki Minaj in it. Nick, yeah. Nicki Minaj does a guest spot in it as a female creep, which yeah. we can come back to. But then also John Waters introduces it. And they're kind of dressed like uh, young John Waters in this video as they're they're doing the creep. They're they're taking on these mannerisms of, of a very creepy uh, male individual. Yeah. A, a guy who's got a pencil must and invades your personal space. Yeah. It will come back to John Waters uh, in, a, in, in a bit, too. But I feel like he's an individual who has embraced his creepiness. And thus transcended it. Yes, yes. Like, he's adorable now. Yeah. So it's kind of a, an interesting area there. In a way, it's like the more you know a creep, either either it's going to firmly establish their creepiness or it's going to dissolve them uh, a bit and dissolve the creepiness. Right. Nobody ever remains the same amount of creepy they seemed at first. Right. It either gets better or gets worse. <laughs> that's, that's some sound uh, uh, sound advice there. Um, for me, uh, there's a well, there's an actor by the name of Lucky Yates, uh, who some of anyone who listens uh, or rather watches Archer uh, may be familiar with uh, with him because he does one of the voices on that show. He does uh, Doctor Krieger. Yes, yeah, right? he does a doctor character. Yeah. But he uh, he also has a character, and I don't know that he does this character anymore. But he did for a while uh, here in the Atlanta area. He did this character, the Fiend, and uh, the Fiend would would host various events such as a late night horror creepy show, uh, puppet show, and various puppet slams in the area. And uh, and this was kind of a like imagine like a little bit of Vincent Price, a little bit of Little Richard, uh, all sort of dashed together. And uh, that was the fiend. This does not sound like a creep to me. This sounds like a like a a, a, a suave dude, suave but a little threatening, like kind of a, okay. Well, no, that's the thing. You're not really sure if he's threatening, but he certainly came off as uh, as a little bit creepy. Uh, okay. Kind of a pencil thin mustache going on, as I recall, and also kind of a a pansexual aura. Okay. Um, other characters. Uh, well, first of all, most characters. I think that Peter Lorre. Played. Oh, Peter Lorre. Yeah. What a great creep. He was. He's, in Casablanca, is he a creep? Yeah, he's kind of a creep. Yeah, I have a hard time remembering him not. I guess in like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, he wasn't a creep. And uh, and I guess in some movies, he plays more of an outright uh, monster uh, type character. But. This is uh, true of some actors. There are people who get typecast as creeps. And I would have to introduce the name of a guy who I greatly love and respect as an actor, but he's always a creep. Tom Noonan, God bless him. Oh, yes. Tom Noonan is is always I can't think of a non creepy Tom Noonan role. And I wonder what it's like to be Tom Noonan. I mean, I don't know anything about him personally. I am sure he is just a wonderfully sweet, great guy. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine that he's actually a creep in real life. But what's it like to be that guy who's always cast as a creep because he's perfect for it? Right. Because he was the bad guy in RoboCop 2. Yeah. The, the, the drug dealer who ends up inside the machine. Uh, he was the the great red dragon in Manhunter. Yes. Uh, who else was He's he? in an episode of the X-Files where he plays like a child murderer. Mm-hmm. He was a creepy priest on an episode of Louie. Yeah. And he's also in House of the Devil playing a world endingly creepy role. Huh. Well, one thing is, I guess, interesting to point out about character actors is character actors often have kind of a unique look, mm-hmm. maybe even a slightly grotesque look. And then that is uh, that is bl- blown ever more out of uh, proportion by either uh, you know, acting opposite perfect looking starring humanoid individuals uh, or just, you know, having increasingly creepy settings, makeup, etc. So I've got a creep for us. Yeah. 
Uh, one of the writers that we were reading in preparation for this episode, a cultural critic named Adam Kotzko, wrote this uh, piece called Nice to Meet You in New Inquiry in 2015. And mm-hmm. he expanded it into a book about creepiness. But he calls attention to the Burger King King. Oh, yes. Right. The advertising phenomenon beginning in like the mid 2000s of the creepy king, which is Burger King's lurking mascot. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Robert, I put some links uh, in the, in our notes to these videos. Did you go back and watch these? Yeah, I rewatched at least one of them. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember them making the rounds back uh, back in the day uh, and everyone embraced this creep factor. Exactly. So uh, they got great word of mouth. It was sort of a viral marketing se- sensation, except I don't think it made anybody want to eat Burger King. But uh, the most common version of this type of commercial is somebody gets freaked out because they discover the Burger King, who's this guy in a king outfit with a uh, unmoving, smiling king mask. The mask itself is 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 kind of uh, reminiscent of the uh, the anonymous uh, V for Vendetta mask, sort of, except it's got this big grin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty awful. But they discover somebody in the commercial discovers the king is like watching them or leaning over their bed or staring at them from somewhere. And they get creeped out mm-hmm. rightly because the king is creepy. But then their anxiety is calmed because the king offers them some disgusting Burger King products. <laughs> Uh, well, tell me this. I know we're both fans of uh, of this particular film, or at least treatments of this film, but Torgo from Manos, The Hands of Fate. Oh, Torgo is the ultimate creep. If there is one creep <laughs> to list, it is Torgo. Uh, if you haven't seen this movie, it was a, it was a great hit on Mystery Science Theater 3000, but it was a, a film produced in El Paso, Texas in the 1960s, and it, it has this character in it who's kind of I mean, what can you you don't know much about him in the movie. He's just a guy with very large knees who kind of talks like this. Ooh, that's a good Torco. Like apparently he was supposed to be a satyr. I think so. But it's not really the the satyr effects are not great. So it just looks <laughs> like he has enormous weird legs and he shuffles about and he's helpful sort of to sometimes, the picture, you know, but yeah, very but he's creepy. Very very creepy. Yeah, never totally inappropriate behavior. Right. And and but never completely feels like a threat. Um, oh, no, later in the well, film. Well, late, later. Yeah. But early on, like I'm thinking when like the family first encounters him, he's he's, he's just helpful. carrying luggage. Yes. <laughs> and just eating up lots of lots of screen time. OK, we, we can't do too many more. But I, one I got to mention, you ever seen Crinkles the Clown from the 1960s post sugar rice crinkles commercial? I have not. And <laughs> I noticed you put the now I noticed you put the link in the notes and I didn't click on it. Uh, well, that that's worth a look. It's okay. this clown who is eating cereal. And I think part of what's creepy about it is the production of the commercial. So it's mm-hmm. not even all the clown. Uh, clowns get a bad rap. We, we can talk about clowns. Oh, yeah. Later. Uh, but I have to admit he is kind of creepy looking, but it's the production of the commercial that does not have like rapid editing like commercials do now. So there are scenes of this clown just eating cereal and taking a long time to say anything after he has a bite of it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's quite creepy. I think the silence makes it creepier. Huh. Okay. Uh, Well, I will definitely have to watch that and creep myself out. Um, One that comes to my mind instantly too is riffraff played 
by Richard O'Brien oh. in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Wonderful. And I guess really most characters that Richard O'Brien plays fall into that creepy role because he's he, he another Tom Noonan type. Yeah, yeah. He has this natural. Well, you remember Dark City. Oh, he, yes. He played the um, what Mr. Hand. He's one of the strangers. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he definitely uh, pops up in my mind as is both a, a you know Riff Raff as a creepy character, but then uh, Richard O'Brien himself is kind of I think a. I think it would be fair to say he is a proud creep as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I also, from a, a personal note, I have to think back to the monster science videos that I've done here for How Stuff Works, where I play the uh, character uh, Dr. Anton Jessup. Um, Wait, that was you the yeah, whole time? I know. It was such a performance. It's hard to uh, hard to believe. But, yes, that was actually me, Joe. And, uh you know, and, and it, it's a very two-dimensional character. I didn't, and, and really, that's the thing about a creep. A creep is two-dimensional. Once they become three-dimensional, there's something infinitely worse or something infinitely more human. Yeah. But uh, but I, we did try to implement uh, greasy hair, overly enthusiastic uh, nature, mm-hmm. uh, poor posture, excessive uh, gesticulation, excessive smiling, lack of boundaries, pale skin. Obsessiveness. Yeah. And and as I say these things, I also have to realize like a lot of these are they're not they're not too far removed probably from how I am in real life. <laughs> so I have to come back to what we said earlier about no matter you know how, how you think you carry yourself uh, in in our world, you've probably come off as a creeper. So whatever I'm trying to achieve with Dr. Anton Jessup, people have probably seen me in public and thought exactly the same thing of me. So in in many cases, it may be the difference between normal person and a creep is just a difference in some mannerisms and grooming. Yeah. And I think the who is observing you. Yeah. And, and, you know, what moment have they caught you in? Okay, so one thing you might have noticed with us talking about all these examples so far is that I think every single one of them we mentioned is male. Yes. So is creepiness inherently a male property? Is there such a thing as a lady creep or culturally do we just tend to assume if you're talking about a creep, that creep is a man. And if you're talking about somebody being creepy, you're probably referring to a person who is male. This is uh, certainly a topic that is that's explored in some of the literature we've looked at. Yeah. And it, it it does seem to be this double standard that exposes a lot of our a lot of the sexual politics in our culture. Right. That, um, yeah, I mean, I don't even have to, uh, to to elaborate on it too much. But you are, I found that you you are kind of at pains to come up with good examples of even a fictional creepy female. Um, the best that I can come up with is is clearly going to be Jerry Blank from Strangers with Candy. No, I've never seen Strangers never with seen Candy. Strangers so with Candy. you got to explain Jerry Blank to me. Oh, okay, so... This was a character played by Amy Sedaris. Okay. And uh, the, the show also f- uh, featured uh, Stephen Colbert as one of the teachers. But it was like an after-school special. On the show, Jerry is um, an older ex-con who's returned to an actual high school and is taking high school classes alongside more or less real teenagers. Uh, Quite plausible. R- yeah. and But she's acting like a teenager as well. So... <laughs> There's a there's a lot of grotesque body humor. Uh, you know, Jerry's this older lady. Sedaris wore a fat suit to play the role. She's always making these these uh, funny twisted faces, but she's also pansexually aggressive, I guess you'd say. And she's generally in generally inappropriate ways. She's also a little bit racist, and that comes out in uh, in in what she's uh, talking about most of the time. Uh, she makes terrible choices. 
but yet even in this comedy, we find ourselves caring about her. Like we know it, in a way they, they achieve something special with Jerry because mm-hmm. we care about Jerry. We know enough about Jerry and granted it's a comic character. It's an unreal character, but she is still kind of a grotesque character and she's still a creepy character. I think how much of that do you think is the character and how much is just what Amy Sedaris brings to it? Oh, I mean, it's hard to separate the two because yeah. it's, yeah, it's so much of it is just Amy Sedaris's wonderful, twitchy uh, performance. It's really one of the, right. the great comedic performances of all time. You know, Amy Sedaris actually plays a kind of creepy character in Kimmy Schmidt as well. Oh, yeah. She's slightly the, the lackey creepy. character, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting. We'll come back to another lackey in a bit. So you mentioned Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, with yeah. Riff Raff, Richard O'Brien. There are some lady creeps in that as well. There are. And those were some other examples that came to mind. So particularly Columbia and Magenta from Rocky Horror Picture Show, who are kind of who are kind of lackeys of uh, Riff Raff and uh, uh, and uh, and Frankenfurter. And and I I bring them up because they're, they're both definitely female fictional characters that come off as creepy, intentionally so. And we'll ignore the fact that they're both technically, I think they're, well, one of them is technically an alien. Oh. But, uh, but I, I always found the, the key with the characters both creepy and attractive. Uh, <laughs> so if anything, their otherness, their creepiness is eroticized, I think. So the, the sense of danger that you get from them is, is not based on physical deformity, but like their sort of counterculture aspects, their, you know, I guess you could say gothiness to a certain extent, and also their their sexual freedom, uh, especially when when they're juxtaposed to Brad and Janet, who are like the ultimate straight people. Like that's that's kind of like everything that works or doesn't work in Rocky Hard, depending on your your, your viewpoint, uh, stems from an encounter between squares, between norms, and uh, and complete fringe individuals. Oh yeah, well I mean in Rocky Horror the. The creepiness is liberating. It's a liberated yeah. sort of heroic creepiness that is contrasted to this horrible norminess. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we've rolled through some examples here. So I think we should probably take a quick break. And when we come back, we will get into the science of creepiness. We'll get into uh, what the uh, what, stu- what studies, one study in particular, have to say about our criteria for creepiness. With the holidays almost here, you don't have time to go to the post office, traffic, parking. It's going to be packed, and everyone's going to be mailing off gifts and packages. So you need to do what we do. You need to go to Stamps.com instead. Go with Stamps.com. You can avoid all the hassle of going to the post office during the busy holiday season. Everything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk instead. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own printer and computer. Print postage for any letter or package the instant you need it, and then the mail person just picks it up, and you're good to go. It's easy, and it's convenient. Here at HowStuffWorks.com. We use Stamps.com when we need to send out the odd bit of merchandise or correspondence, and we want you to try it out as well. So right now, go to Stamps.com and use our promo code STUFF. That's S-T-U-F-F for this special offer. You'll get a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer that includes postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com right now before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in STUFF. That's Stamps.com. Enter STUFF and start mailing things. So we've talked about how one of the problems here is that there's a lot of uh, ambiguity and subjectivity in how we define the idea of the creep. Lots of people will probably agree on what's a creepy situation, what which person is a creep. But what what, is, what are the actual criteria? 
Yeah, I mean it's so subjective. One of the articles I was looking at was uh, the age of uh, the age of creepiness by Nathan Heller, published in uh, the New Yorker, 2015, and uh, he, and uh, he brings uh, up a number of uh, fictional characters as uh, thought experiments here. Uh, for instance, he says. Is John Travolta creepy as a disco predator in Saturday Night Fever? Hard to say. <laughs> Is he creepy as a weathered black clad gentleman who leers at women while fondling their chins? Yes, very much. And now forevermore. What changed? He's, of course, referring to, uh, Classic John Travolta versus modern uh, John Travolta. And does modern John Travolta affect the way you feel about classic John Travolta? Yeah. And I, I don't know, like maybe at the time, did anyone would anyone dare say is John Travolta creepy in Saturday Night Fever? Or is that merely us looking at current John Travolta and then looking backwards through time? And it brings up the question of, like, how does the suaveness of the dude inform whether or not you think he's creepy? Yeah. Like another example that Heller brings up is Don Draper from Mad Men. Right. Like Don Draper is a suave character. Uh, John Hamm is a very handsome actor. And we get to know a lot about his complexities and his dark side and, you know, what's good in him. Uh, but he's, he's definitely a creeper. Right. Uh, some of the time, maybe a lot of the time. But how do you how do you actually categorize it? When is he a creep and when is he uh, uh, endearing? In that book we mentioned, uh, Creepiness uh, by Adam uh, Kotzko, uh, he also argues that creepy types are haunting due to their, quote, peculiar power of attraction. So our eyes are drawn to the creep. You know, how can you how can you not look at the creep? You can't let them just disappear into the background because they're cap- capturing your attention. Yeah, uh, you you have to process who and what they are. Though he's primarily focused on fictional characters, right? Right, like on TV. Mm-hmm. So I think it's time to look at a study that will actually quantify what makes a creep. Uh, and so this study is called On the Nature of Creepiness, and it's published in New Ideas in Psychology uh, this year. And the researchers Frank McAndrew and Sarah Kenke tried for the first time that we know of in the history of science to take an empirical and quantified look at the experience of creepiness and how it relates to usage of the word. And I think this is really interesting because lots of scientists have studied fear, anxiety and all that. And creepiness, as we've been talking about, is this seemingly universal and utterly conversationally pervasive topic. But until now, it hasn't really been studied on its own to look at what makes it unique. Yeah, it's been the, it's been the twilight. Everyone's setting the light in the dark. That's a, that's a very nice way of putting it. But anyway, so I want to quote their mission statement, sort of uh, what, what they set out to do. Quote, it is the goal of this paper to introduce a theoretical perspective on the common psychological experience of feeling creeped out and to uncover the cues that we use to label other people as creepy. So two main questions. What does it mean to be creeped out and who's creepy? OK, so McAndrew and Kenke, they're uh, their, their sort of working assumption is that we have this internal creepiness detector that is a defense system warning us against some kind of threat. And they, they base this on research indicating things like that uh, creepy interactions literally make us feel the chills uh, and that other psychological research has associated feelings of literal coldness with uh, other types of threats, such as the social threat triggered by the experience of social exclusion. Um, but it's not just a warning against a threat. 
Because simply observing common usage, as we talked about at the very beginning of this episode, you would not describe an overtly terrifying encounter as creepy. If a friend tells you uh, he was chased down the street by a maniac with a chainsaw, that is not creepy. Mm -hmm. Creepy is what if there was a guy standing across the street staring at you? That's probably creepy. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like if you're walking down the street and and you're trying to decide whether to remain on this side of the street or to cross over and continue on the other side. Is the individual on this side of the street, are they like karate punching the air and Mm -hmm. like beating trash cans with something? That would be more overtly threatening. And you would say, I choose not to walk on that side of the street. Right. If it's just somebody out there like feeding pigeons or reading a newspaper, you're like, no problem. I walk by people doing that all the time. Not a threat. It's that person who's kind of shifty, that person who you you can't quite get a read on. What if it's a guy just sitting on the sidewalk revving a wood chipper but not putting anything in it? Hmm. Depends how much wood's around, I guess. That's, again, it's, I'm going to have to look for more contextual clues. We'll, we'll come back to it. Okay, so the authors, they offer a hypothesis explaining the nature of creepiness, which is that um, the distinct feature that makes something creepy is ambiguity, meaning a lack of certainty about whether someone or something is threatening or a lack of certainty about the nature of the threat. Okay. Um, so already I can hear that. Okay. Th- that, that's making sense to me. Creepiness involves some kind of, uh, uh, feeling of not being sure how to react to something. But then they've got an additional hypothesis. Uh, creepiness may be related to the concept of, in evolutionary psychology of agency detection. Now we've talked about agency detection on the show before. Um, uh, sort of having an overactive or hyperactive agency detection means that if you're walking down the road and you hear some leaves rustling, you say, who's there? Yeah. Instead of just assuming, well, that's just the wind. I don't even need to look, right? And why would this be favored evolutionarily? Well, false, false positives don't cost you much. Checking to see who's there when nobody's there, that's not a big risk to take. But false negatives can get you killed. Right. If, if it rustles and you don't look, you know, one in a million times, that might be the maniac with a chainsaw. Yeah, it's a type one error versus a type two error. And uh, nature is going to select for freaking out a little bit too much over things that are not a threat. Right. So they say that our tendency is to sort of overvalue cautiousness in potentially threatening situations, which could lead to the experience of creepiness. You know, this guy here, he hasn't done anything overtly dangerous or threatening. You're just getting some cues that set off that oversensitive threat alarm and it keeps you on guard. And that feeling of creepiness is the biological sensation of being kept on guard. All right. Now they've got uh, four explicit hypotheses in the paper that they want to test through their uh, their experiment, which is going to be in the form of a, of a big survey to get people's attitudes on creepiness. So the first hypothesis is uh, if creepiness communicates a threat, males are going to be more likely to be perceived as creepy than females, simply since males are more violent and physically threatening to more people. OK. Makes sense. Uh, second hypothesis, uh, females are going to be more likely than males to perceive some sort of sexual threat from a creepy person. Okay. Okay. I understand that too. Uh, third hypothesis, there are certain, there are going to be certain occupations that will be perceived as more creepy than other ones, like occupations that signal a fascination with what they call threatening stimuli, like death or non-normative sex, uh, yeah. unacceptable types of sex. <laughs> and and that, that one, that particular description, uh, I, I don't doubt 
uh, at all. But it also it, it really underlines the problematic uh, contextual um, and, and individual aspects of uh, of the, the threat analysis that's going on. Like what is normal sex? Exactly. Uh, to 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 any given individual. Right. It's going to be based on the, you know, it, it's going to vary person to person. Yeah. It, it's, is your is the character here walking, uh, you know, through an Amish town or are they walking down the streets of 1970s New York in a, Scor- a Scorsese film? You know, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Some bad lieutenants are creepier than others. And then their last hypothesis, uh, since they hypothesize that creepiness is uh, about uncertainty, uh, they're going to say that non-normative, non-verbal behavior, so weird mannerisms and behaviors and actions or characteristics associated with unpredictability will be positively associated with perceptions of creepiness. So that's uh, sort of to say that a- acting weird and acting unusual, acting unpredictable is going to be associated with creepiness. OK, yeah, because there is like shiftiness is creepiness for the most part. Right. Yeah. So what are their methods? How are they going to test this? Well, they they admit that this uh, this first research, since, you know, creepiness hasn't really been studied this way before. This is mostly exploratory. So they're, they're just trying to get some places to start. Yeah. Test the waters, figure out the depths. And then it's uh, it's future studies and meta analyses that will give us perhaps some real understanding. Exactly. So in this study, it was uh, uh, one thousand three hundred and forty one individuals uh, heavily weighted towards females. There were a thousand twenty nine females and three hundred and twelve males ranging in age from 18 to 77, the mean age of about 29. And they were all recruited online to respond to a survey for, quote, a study about creepiness. (laughs) I wonder if people who are interested in answering questions about creepiness have a non-standard view of creepiness. Well, that's always a concern with research, right? Exactly. And they admit that in their study. They talk about the some of the limitations of their methods at the end of the paper, and we can mention those in a bit. Uh, one, uh, One other problem that they mentioned is that they wish that they had gotten data on the participants country of origin they do not have that they believe the sample was primarily american but contained a significant portion of international participants but we don't know so we shouldn't really consider that okay um uh, at least for the purposes of this study but, exactly but as we'll get into a bit i i, I have some some strong feelings about the the, the, the nate the role of this absolutely yeah well i think creepiness is going to be highly culturally determined mm-hmm. so yes um, so here's the first part of the study. You, you get in there. Imagine you're participating in this study. First thing is a forced choice question. Is a creepy person more likely to be male or female? Well, male is going to be the, the answer they're going to give. Survey says you are absolutely correct. Their result was 95.3% of respondents thought that creepy people were much more likely to be males than females, unquote. So also uh, males and females were in almost perfectly equal agreement that males were more likely to be creepy. So, yes, when we asked earlier, is creepiness a male issue? It really seems like it is. Yeah. Men and women agree that men are generally the creeps. Then they get to the next section. The next section is a scenario that they're prompted to imagine. So it goes like this, quote, imagine a close friend of yours whose judgment you trust. Robert, have you got the close friend in mind? Okay, a close friend in mind. Now imagine that this friend tells you that she or he just met someone for the first time and tells you that the person was creepy. Okay. After reading the prompt, these uh, participants, they're given a list of 44 behaviors and physical traits. Uh, Just a couple of examples. Had lots of tattoos or 
never looked your friend in the eye. <laughs> and they're asked to rate the likelihood on a scale of one to five, one being not likely at all, five being very likely, that the creep from the friend's creep encounter exhibited these traits. And uh, as you can expect, some traits were considered much creepier than others. So they say in their results that uh, that there are some things highly correlated to creepiness that people gave the answer for here. Uh, one of them was this big composite variable that they put together out of these uh, appearance and nonverbal behaviors traits that people rated as creepy, such as the person stood too close to your friend. The person had greasy hair. The person had a peculiar smile. The person had bulging eyes and things like that, though I, I kind of like bulging eyes. But <laughs> anyway, uh, and then they, they go on to say also other things that were uh, rated as creepy in this section were being of the opposite sex as the friend, though they think this is probably due to the predominantly female sample in mm-hmm. the study. Being extremely thin. That's strange. I don't usually think of that as a creepy trait, but. Well, it's, I guess it comes down to what's extremely thin. Yeah. yeah. So. Extremely, I guess so. Yeah. But even then, like you're getting into you know, judgment calls based on someone's physical appearance. Right. But, but I mean, that's how the mind works. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this explicitly calls out a lot of uh, unfair prejudicial attitudes, mm-hmm. right? A lot of these things. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having greasy hair, right? No, I mean, it, it depends. That's not threatening in itself. I mean, it, it, it depending on the context and the culture. Like greased back, slick back hair could be the, is the, the height of fashion. Like the, it shows that you are exceedingly well groomed. Right. In other scenarios, you can afford this special pomade. Yeah, you're 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 slick back. You're a dapper Dan man, you know. But other times, it just means that your hair is greasy and and you haven't taken care of yourself. So it it yeah it varies. It depends what the fashion is, what the uh, what the individual's expectations are. Right. But uh, of course, they're testing people's attitudes and people's attitudes aren't necessarily uh, always so enlightened. Yeah. But anyway, so going on from that, uh, another thing that's uh, that's cited as not looking the interaction partner in the eye. If somebody's like, you know, not just not making eye mm-hmm. contact, staring at the floor, maybe uh, asking to take a picture of the interaction partner. I can see that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, watching people before interacting with them. This, I think this is going to be very significant. Uh, asking about details of one's personal life. Having a mental illness. There's another prejudicial attitude, I guess. Uh, talking about his or her own personal life. Displaying too much or too little emotion. Being older and steering the conversation towards sex. <laughs> Okay. On the other hand, I j- was just wondering, what are the least creepy descriptors? Like, what did they they rate the lowest? Uh, th- these include was a child. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Though that's funny because I can think of lots of creepy children, but they're usually in movies and stuff. Yeah, they're they're doing something that's out of context and unchildlike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also was fashionably dressed. Talked a lot about clothes. The, these are these are interesting. Like the fashionably dressed. Like I wonder, like how much of it is the the weight of the scenario that the individual is is bringing to mind. Like they're imagining like a bar setting, perhaps, and then the the impeccably dressed kind of. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing to, to go back to Saturday Night Live. I'm thinking right. the, the Roxbury uh, guys, right? Are they fashionably dressed? Um, but they are creeps. They are creeps. And yeah. they, they are, they are, yeah, we should have mentioned them earlier because they are, uh, invading personal space. They're, they're, uh, they, they seem to have put way too much thought into their fashion, whether or not their fashion actually lines up with what is, uh, currently culturally, uh, the norm. Yeah. 
Okay, next part of the thing, uh, they also looked at occupations, right? Same thing, rate, rate an occupation on a scale of one to five. How creepy is it? This was really, this was really interesting. This is one of my, my favorite parts of the study because we end up seeing like the, uh, their scale, uh, of the professions, uh, that came up, uh, creepy to less, to least creepy. Uh-huh. The creepiest is the clown. Of course, the yeah. poor clown. Right up there with like undertakers and the, the individuals we mentioned earlier, people engaged in, uh, uh, some sort of s- sexual business. The four that were significantly higher than the mean were the clown, mm-hmm. the taxidermist, the sex shop owner, and the funeral director. Yeah. <laughs> but w- one of these is not like the other. I mean, what's wrong with clowns other than the fact that you don't like the way they look? Yeah, well, I think the taxidermist one, too, is one where it totally depends on your setting. Like, if you're talking about rural Tennessee, uh-huh. but the taxidermists, they're just doing their thing. They're just stuffing those deer heads and those fish and all. That's just a part of your life. Taxidermist in the big city, a slightly different uh, vibe going on. But, the yeah, the clown is is ever problematic, and it's, it's, it's kind of a unique entry here. We should do a whole episode sometime on the maligned clown. Uh, yeah, I would love to, because I'm very much of the mind that this we've kind of convinced ourselves that clowns exactly. are creepy. Yes. yes, there are clown examples that are overtly creepy, but we've kind of been telling ourselves the same creepy clown joke over and over again until we can't see anything else. But I digress. No, I think you're exactly right. I think a lot of clown fear is performative. Yeah. Though at the same time, I, I acknowledge sometimes clowns can be creepy. But why why is this a recently emergent phenomenon? You don't hear people talking about clowns being creepy 100 years ago. Yeah, clowns were great. Clowns were, were the, the entertainment of choice for young and old alike. Uh, and here's the thing. People often say, oh, well, the clown is creepy because the clown is like a false face and you don't really know what's behind it. Mm-hmm. And yet the least creepy profession on this scale was the meteorologist. And <laughs> and I get the same vibe off of like most meteorologists, like, you know, kind of the, the standard newscaster type of person. Here is someone who I really can't get a read on because they're putting out this demeanor. You know, the funny thing is I, I, I know of some specific creepy meteorologists yeah. who like were involved in crimes. Oh. Uh, but funny side note, also, there's a weather.com article gloating over the fact that meteorologists got rated the least creepy of all professions. Um, and so I think I think just we've got to remember now to put somebody at ease, always be a fashionably dressed child meteorologist who can't stop talking about clothes. Yeah. Now, uh, you're, people are probably wondering, well, where do I rank? Well, you can certainly look up this uh uh, this article and, and find yourself, we find out, find, find ourselves as writers kind of in the middle of the scale. Though it, so our mean is 2.14 and that means we're below the mean of the, the scale, right? If the mean is three, mm-hmm. it's one to five scale. So we're generally considered less than, than medium creepiness. Okay. Mo- most professions on here got less than medium creepiness. This, I can't, I can't get over the fact though that according to this, we are more creepy than actors. I mean, maybe I just know some creepy actors, but well, we're not much. It's almost the same. Almost, the, yeah. I guess we're we, yeah, we're kind of quibbling over that uh, <laughs> the, that, that tiny uh, <laughs> s- slice of a percentage point. It's true. Actors should be at the top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think one can make an argument for that. But hey, we're no. Uh, at least we're we're not the taxidermist clown sex shop owner uh, who would be like 
right there at the top. Okay, so we did uh, we did occupations, but also they wanted to see about hobbies. And in this next section, they didn't have a list of hobbies. Instead, that this was a different format. They were just asked to list in a free prompt a couple of hobbies that the subjects would consider creepy. Yes, the creepy the creepy hobbies here. Um, so collecting things, uh, especially <laughs> okay. dolls, insects, and body parts, which. Collecting body parts. Again, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> uh, I think it calls to mind uh, like questions of like, where did that come from? Yeah. How did you get it? Yeah. The body. Yeah. The body part one is, is far creepier than collecting insects and, and, and dolls. Like my sister collects dolls. She doesn't collect body parts. I would be concerned if it was body parts. Um, what all, does she just collect doll parts? That no, would be creepy. Full, full dolls. Yeah. <laughs> but. But at any rate, yeah, there's kind of a, I feel like maybe there's an unfair stigma with that too, with the collecting of dolls. This is my arms room. <laughs> there's a, they also pointed out hobbies that entail a great deal of watching, either in the form of photographing people, mm-hmm. uh, bird watching, and, uh, and uh, also they pointed out uh, taxidermy and having, quote, a fascination with pornography or exotic sexual activity. Uh, but yet again, this is going to be one of those things where we we do wish we had uh, had uh, country data on this, right? Because yeah. this is probably going to be highly culturally variable. Yeah, I mean, exotic sexual activity like that d- depends entirely on how you choose to define that. Like, there are plenty of uh, individuals out there who might define, uh, you know, homosexual activity as that, and therefore any, um, you know, gay or lesbian or bisexual individual is then uh, a de facto creep based on the scale. Well, I think that is like if you go back fifty years, uh, I think that there is a str- like in American culture fifty years ago, you will see a strong association between, for example, a gay man and the concept of creepiness. Yeah. Now, I, I guess hopefully we seem to be losing that. I, I don't really get a sense of that today. But no, uh, but that's certainly like the, the homophobic attitude towards uh, gays, gay men in particular, mm-hmm. uh, is that is that, yes, they are. Uh, there's something threatening. There's something creepy about them. It, the, like the, the idea that this individual is gay and they want to have sex with me like for these like gay men are out there uh you know cruising around for for straight bottled up uh uh squares to uh, to warp or something you know right um, oh no oh no yeah the yeah, yeah they're coming for you they're not coming for you trust me um <laughs> uh, so, but but yeah you, uh, I, that's i think undoubtedly a, a part of this Okay, we're getting toward the end of the study, but uh, there's uh, there's another section in this next section. Subjects are asked to rate on a scale of one to five their level of agreement with 15 statements about creepy people. They would start with a prompt like, when I meet someone that seems creepy, dot, 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 and then you'd have a statement to complete. Do you agree with this or not? For example, I think this person has sexual interest in me. Ah. Or people are creepier online than when I meet them face to face. And so uh, they did some analysis on that and the results, uh, analyzing the results from the section, the authors sort of conclude that the following statements are the most commonly believed to be true about creepy people. So they make us feel feel fearful or anxious. Uh, they believe that the creepiness resides in the individual more than in his or her behavior. And I feel like that's unfortunate. I think people probably do feel that way. Like it's it's really that a person is a creep and always a creep. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than that what they're doing right now is creepy. I, I feel more the opposite. Yeah, but it, it does come into this whole idea that we just dismiss someone as a creep. We yeah. write them off as a creep until 
additional information, uh, you know, tells us otherwise. But if we're just dismissing them, that information may never come because it's not like we're going to get to know the creep unless we have to. Right. Right. OK. So more creepy behaviors. Uh, we think they may have uh, sexual interest in us. Mm-hmm. That's seems key. You know, represents a sexual threat. Um uh, they are creepy when they exhibit multiple symptoms of creepiness rather than just one. And I think that makes sense because I, I would sort of call this creep clustering similar to the crank clustering. Like if you meet somebody who believes in one crank theory, they probably believe in a lot of crank theories. Mm-hmm. If you meet somebody who's into time cube, they're probably also, a, I don't know, flat earther. Actually, they probably wouldn't be both of those because <laughs> they're incompatible. But uh, but you know what I mean about that? Yeah, yeah. So, for instance, like the kind of person who might encounter uh, like 1990s or era or even modern era Glenn Danzig, like if they're the kind of person who thinks, <laughs> you know, that, some other things they're into. R- well, it, OK, I guess the thing is, if they're the type of person that's going to think the tattoos or long black hair uh, happens to be creepy, they're also going to think that having like uh, sharpened fingernails is going to be creepy. <laughs> they're going to think that. uh that other aspects of uh, his persona are also creepy. How could sharpened fingernails be creepy? I know it's it's that's I, beautiful. I, yeah. Okay, so uh, a few more. So uh, the expected intimacy and frequency of the interaction with the person moderates perceptions of creepiness. So uh, just sort of like expectations are going to change the way you perceive the conversation. That obviously makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that is done by somebody who's close to you is not physically, but, you know, a close friend of yours is might not be creepy. But if a stranger did it, it would be creepy. That's yeah. kind of obvious. Next thing that uh, people believe that creepy people are unable to change, but they do not necessarily have bad intentions. And uh, and then finally, people who follow social rules of behavior are not perceived as creepy. So basically, if you if you mind your manners and you follow all the rules of normal social interaction as often kind of ambiguous and unstated as they are, you can avoid being considered creepy. So the the serial murderer who completely buries uh, their true identity is not creepy. Dexter is not creepy. That's true. Dexter came up in some of the literature we're looking at. I, though I think they made the argument that Dexter does become creepy later on because there's some sort of a an incest angle or something. Oh, maybe. Show. I mean, I never really. Uh, I, I only watched a little bit of Dexter, but he's not. Um, he's he doesn't come off as creepy to people who know him, right? Just mm-hmm. because he's I don't know. He he basically minds his manners and doesn't act too weird in public. Yeah, and. And I didn't watch a lot of the show, but you also I did not get the strong uh, impression that he really enjoyed what he was doing all that much. Like he just kind of did it because he had to. I think he did. Yeah. I mean, again, we're we're sitting here talking about a show we haven't really seen. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Uh, okay, But that is the creepy judgment. Saying someone is creepy is judging a show you haven't really seen. Okay, so a little more about their uh, their analysis. They did say that from the results, they think the hypothesis that creepiness is linked to unpredictability is somewhat supported. Uh, They say that subjects more often agreed that the statement, quote, I am uncomfortable because I cannot predict how he or she will behave was descriptive of their reaction to a creepy person. And uh, people were close to neutral on the statement, quote, even though someone may be creepy, I usually think that I understand his or her intentions. So it seems like there's some support for creepiness being unpredictability. Okay. They also found support for the hypothesis that women are more likely to perceive a creepy person as a sexual threat. 
and then in the final section, the, the last thing that was on the study was a single yes, no question. Do most creepy people know that they are creepy? <laughs> Uh, the responses were 115, yes, that was like 8.6%, 797, no, that was like 60%, and uh, 429, unsure, which was like 32%. So generally, people don't think that creepy people know that they're creepy or they can't tell whether they know or not. And then other stray, uh, stray observations, I thought this was kind of interesting. The authors point out that older participants seem to be a little bit less concerned about creepy people and less likely to perceive sexual threat or an intent to harm, which is interesting. I, I don't know if I would have predicted that, that older people huh. are less creeped out. Huh. That is interesting. Like to what maybe do it, you know, basically like they just don't see themselves as being uh, threatened that much by the creeps in their midst. Or does that mean they're maybe uh, they're even more open to their own creepiness and the creepiness of others. Yeah, it could be. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe over time, I mean, as we've discussed, you encounter a lot of creeps in the world. Mm -hmm. Creepiness is a common everyday experience. And the more you experience creepiness and it does no harm to you, maybe you become desensitized to it. Yeah. Or, yeah, one or two things is going to happen, right? Yeah. Either you're going to, you're going to be desensitized to it or, uh, you are going to just really go down the well of, uh, fearing the creep all around you, right? Yeah. So, uh, we, we should move on from this study, but one thing I do want to mention at the end is, uh, the authors acknowledge some limitations of their study. Like we talked about, this is, you know, this is an online survey. So this is very preliminary. It's more sort of like establishing, uh, uh leads for other research in the future. Because with an online survey like this, one possibility that you have is a problem with self-selection bias of the participants, right? So since it's an online volunteer survey, we're not necessarily hearing from a truly random sample of people, but from the kind of people who would click on a Facebook link to fill out an online psychological survey about creepiness. That, that yeah. is presumably a type of person. Yeah, indeed. Um, and they might be giving different types of answers than a truly random sampling of the population would. Uh, Also, we already pointed out, for example, the lack of data on country of origin. This would be very interesting to look into and is probably, you know, if somebody's going to study this uh, moving ahead from this point, I think this would be one of the most interesting things to look at. In what ways are these creepy behaviors culturally variable and which ones are more universal? Uh, One thing I would say, it's well known, for example, that some cultures have very different feelings about things like eye contact than other cultures do. Like sometimes making prolonged eye contact with somebody in one place that might be totally normal and nice thing to do. And in other places, it might be considered very creepy. Right. Or staring in general. Like, is it okay to stare at somebody who stands out a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to vary from culture to culture. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll look at a few more aspects of creepiness. Hi, I'm Lauren Vogelbaum, host of the new House Stuff Works Now podcast. Every week, I'll be bringing you three stories from our team about the weird and wondrous developments we've seen in science, technology, and culture. Fresh episodes will be out every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, and everywhere else that fine podcasts are found. So one of the big takeaways from this uh, study we looked at and from some of the discussion we've had so far is the idea of the threat ambiguity right. in creepiness. That creepiness is different from scariness because 
<clears throat> when you are scared, you're scared of something that is overt or that being scared might be a part of creepiness, but it's okay to openly display fear and revulsion from something that is overtly threatening. Like we said, guy running at you with a chainsaw. It's okay to scream and run away from that. If there's a guy who's just being a little bit creepy and you scream and run away from him, we sort of have this conflict, right? Like we're feeling, am I just being rude? Right. If I do that. Um, and the, uh, one of the authors of the study, uh, Frank McAndrew, in another essay, he terms this the, the conflict between self-preservation and self-presentation. And I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, we're all walking this web of uh, social expectations and so- societal norms. Mm-hmm. And there's an individual up ahead that's kind of shaking the web a little bit. Right. And we don't want to... Plummet off the web with them. We don't want something bad to happen, but we also don't want to shake the web ourselves. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so in that sense, creepiness is uncomfortable, not just because it entails anxiety, but also because it's inherently awkward. Yeah. It's uncertain. You don't know what the best thing to do is. So you're stuck in this state of, uh, I'm not comfortable. I don't know what to do. And that itself is a source of distress. Uh, one more thing I want to mention real quickly is that McAndrew of the creepiness study is also interested in the creepiness of places. Uh, we're primarily focused on creepy people today, but he has an essay at the conversation you can check out about the evolutionary psychology of haunted houses. If oh, you're cool. interested. So I know what a, I know what a number of you are probably thinking out there. Well, this is all great, but what did Freud have to say about it? Right. <laughs> He's the final authority today. <laughs> well, uh, Sigmund Freud did not discuss the creep specifically, but in 1919's The Uncanny, he did have this to say. And, uh, you know, as we'll discuss, this involves translation of the terms. Right. But uh, he said, the subject of The Uncanny is a province of this kind. It undoubtedly belongs to all that is terrible, to all that arouses dread and creeping horror. It is equally certain, too, that the word is not always used in a clearly definable sense, so that it tends to coincide with whatever excites dread. Yet we may expect that it implies some intrinsic quality which justifies the use of a special name. One is curious to know what this peculiar quality is, which allows us to distinguish as uncanny certain things within the boundaries of what is fearful. So he's sort of playing the same game that we've been doing, trying to find a, a distinction. He's got this term, uncanny, literally in the ger- German, I think it's das unheimlich. Yeah. Right. Uh, das unheimlich, translated as the uncanny, this sort of creepiness feeling. But I think there's an important distinction to make between what we mean when we say creepiness mm-hmm. and what Freud meant by the uncanny or das unheimlich. And um, but but he's playing the same kind of tightrope walk of, okay it's not exactly just fear. Right. It's Mm -hmm. something else. And Freud quotes uh, Ernst Jentsch to find a he's trying to find a perfect example of what encapsulates his idea of the uncanny experience. He writes, quote, doubts whether an apparently inanimate being is really alive or conversely, whether a lifeless object might not be, in fact, animate. Okay. Okay, so I guess I can kind of see that. Like, that can be creepy. Uh, people often refer to things in the uncanny valley as creepy, right? Right. Something yes. that's a little close to being similar to human, but not close enough that it's real. And so it gives you the willies. Uh, and they give the example of waxwork figures, artificial dolls or automatons. Not yeah. they. Uh, Freud gives that. Yes. 
Yeah, I would agree that yeah, wax models of individuals, lifelike wax models are are uncanny and are perhaps a little creepy. Have you ever been to a wax museum? I have. It's been a while. But uh yeah, I've I've been to or at least I've been to like a small one that had a few different exhibits. So. They should be illegal. <laughs> uh but but a writer we talked about earlier, uh Kotzko, he he talks about Freud's concepts, right? Yeah, and he he makes the argument essentially that 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 the uncanniness here, the uh, Unheimlich, uh, essentially boils down to quote the inherent creepiness of human desire. Okay, well, if it's Freud, obviously desire is coming in, right? And 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 I yeah, I think human desires may be inherently creepy if you look at it in the right light. Uh, now he also points out that on Freud's list of su- suggested translations for Unheimlich, uh, there is uncomfortable, uneasy, gloomy, dismal, uncanny, ghastly. Haunted in reference to a house and of a in reference to a man, quote, a repulsive fellow. Uh, Some of those get it better than others. Yeah. I mean, creepiness is inherently uncomfortable and uneasy. I think those are good. Ghastly, uh, gloomy. No, that's not really right. And, you know, I I actually I end up kind of waffling on this interpretation of of, uh, all of this when Freud says the following in the same work. Dismembered limbs, a severed head, a hand cut off at the wrist, feet which dance by themselves, all these have something peculiarly uncanny about them, especially when, as in the last instance, they prove able to move of themselves in addition. What? Yeah, I would say that is not creepy. Like, that is that is the realm of, like, straight-up maddening terror. Yeah, that's the person in the casket opens her eyes and starts screaming. Yeah, don't, like, you can't compare a, a weird character played by Steve Buscemi in a film to to disembodied uh, parts like flopping around or a or a or a or or a a human head rolling around and moaning or something. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I think Freud's Unheimlich is something different from creepiness. Uh, The the overlap is kind of interesting because it seems in some senses to kind of capture creepiness. Uh, One of the things that Freud goes on to talk about is this idea of, you know, of course, the the familiarity aspect like Heimlich. Uh, is a word in German that so it has a lot of range of meaning. It sort of means hidden or private, sort of, but it also encapsulates the idea of something feeling at home, like homey, homely, or familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it can take on all these different kinds of meanings, bringing in lots of connotations. And I think that's that's where a lot of this ambiguity comes from. It's this huge, loaded big word in German. And creepiness is not the same way in English. Creepiness in English, I think, is a much more uh, specific word, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I'd certainly, certainly if any listeners out there have have other um, examples of linguistic models for creepiness, other translations of it that have, that carry slightly different weight within a a given culture, I would love to hear about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one quote that I do think might be a little bit useful is that, uh, Freud quotes, uh, Schelling in his essay on, on the uncanny and says that Schelling defined the uncanny as everything that, uh, ought to have remained hidden and secret and yet comes to light. Okay. That now sounds like they're, that he's talking about creepiness again. Sort of, yeah. yeah, because you can kind of see that like a something, some a person who's behaving creepy, there is there is like a pressure building in them often. Uh-huh. You know, there's like something that is a behavior that you are worried they may express, but they're not yet expressing or something like that. Right. All right. So we've we've pretty much uh, 
we've pretty much covered uh, what we currently know about creepiness, and we've discussed some examples of creepiness, uh, and uh, and tried to to uh, you know dismantle. Uh, the, the notion itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, this is, I want to bring up something though that I kept thinking about, uh, as, as we we're discussing, uh, these, these various, uh, creepy factors on the creepy checklists, uh, the various creepy characters that come to mind. And that is, you know, to, to what extent is, uh, is, is the perception of a creep, uh, like inherently racist? Like, like how much, uh, Ethnic uh, fear and ethnic anxiety is is wound up in our perception of the creep. You know, I can honestly say that when you said this, I hadn't encountered anything to make me think this because there's obviously plenty of, uh, you know, racism and, and bias in the way people assess potentially threatening or negative characteristics of other people. You know, we, we all have implicit biases mm-hmm. um, and, and we make judgments about people that are unfair based on, you know, superficial external characteristics. But as I've always interpreted, interpreted it to me, creep is a fairly like a race or ethno neutral concept. When, when I think of a creep, I, I certainly don't think of a person of a, of a different race or different culture. Right. Um, but I, I can see how it certainly could be interpreted that way because as we've talked about, the creep in many ways is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. I mean, there are some activities that are probably going to be pretty universally considered creepy, but then there are other things that are just basically reflecting the prejudices of the, of the creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely not at the point where if you call someone a creep, they're going to come back and call you a racist right. uh, for it. But yeah, my pondering here, I guess, is that there's there's a lot in the stereotypical creep that lines up uh, not only with character ambiguity, but also racial ambiguity. So the the other, the you know, one whose physical characteristics diverge from the norm, whose fashion sense diverges from the norm, whose social graces, grasp of language, and perhaps even expectations of relationship interactions is different or is believed to differ from the status quo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as, as I looked at some of the stereotypical mainstream examples, I kept asking myself, wait, is this person considered creepy because of at least implicit uh, racism or xenophobia. Uh, hmm. So uh, I have an example here. Okay. All right. So, and, and, to, and I present this as an open question. I'm not pretending to have this all figured out, but uh, the big Lebowski, <laughs> one of my favorite movies. And I am, I am not in any way, uh, uh, you know, criticizing the film uh, or, or, you know, criticizing the Coen brothers, uh, but it's probably fresh on my mind because I saw it last week. Okay. So we have a number of fabulous, creepy characters played by very talented actors, uh, and they're creepy for multiple reasons. So let's first of all, there's Jesus and uh, Jesus, the Jesus. And uh, overtly, we can say Jesus is creepy because he's an alleged sex offender. He's loud. He invokes threats of sexual violence. Yeah. Then there's uh, Uli Nukul, Nukul, Kunkul, Uli Kunkul. Yes, the the nihilist Peter Stormare. Yes, fabulous, fabulous actor. Plays a great creep, especially in this. So he's a nihilist. He's a uh, pornographic actor. He's a musician and a criminal. Right. Plenty to be to find creepy there or okay. threatening. Though I don't know if I find Uli creepy. Really? Yeah, maybe. Well, I don't know. It, it, again, perspective uh, plays a, a key here, but he's at least soft creepy. Okay. Uh, Knox Harrington, 
uh, the video uh, artist, pencil thin mustache. Yep. He's kind of an observer in the background. He has a strange laugh. It's David Thewlis. Yeah. Who plays him. Yeah, it's uh, a very bit part, but he's also, uh, he's the guy who plays the werewolf in the Harry Potter movies, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. He was also in, uh, the uh, the Island of Doctor Moreau movie that we've discussed here before. Uh, he is creepy. Knox Harrington is creepy. Yeah. And then then of course there's Jackie Treehorn, the pornographer, lone shark. He's fascinated with the erotic. I, he comes off very suave in the movie, but yeah. you can certainly make a case based on the criteria we we're discussing earlier that he's a creepy dude. Huh. And he I, does drug the dude. So yeah, there that's you go. true. For some reason, the main two I would think of as creepy are the Jesus and Knox Harrington. Okay. So, but also, whoa, 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 there are other creeps in the Big Lebowski. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's yes. Grant is absolutely creepy. He is definitely creepy. And I think he's a good example that, yes, there is a, there, here's a very white creep character. Okay. Uh, because he's just such a lackey to, uh, to the Big Lebowski, uh-huh. to Jeffrey Lebowski. So we have all these reasons to find these individuals creepy. But for the first four that I mentioned, uh, on top of these, uh, cre- these, uh, these, these overt reasons, it's also worth noting that the characters are respectively Puerto Rican, German, English, and possibly Italian American. The actors are respectively Italian American, Swedish, English, and Italian American. So there's, okay. there is a certain ethnic otherness in all of these characters. And so I have to, to, to wonder, like, to what extent is that weighing it? You huh. Know? Like, yeah, it could be. Like, certainly a, a, the Jesus would be creepy if he were white. I'm not saying he wouldn't be. Right. But do we, do we end up pulling in certain uh, fears of the ethnic other into these uh, creepy stereotypes? Huh. Well, uh, I'm not sure that happens in The Big Lebowski, but I can definitely see how that would happen. Yeah. Um, and, hmm, I, I guess, though, I mean, this is probably one of the most innocuous because it's Englishness. Knox Harrington's Englishness, his, uh-huh. uh, his English accent is maybe one of the creepiest things about him. Uh-huh. Yeah, he comes off oh, like a complete much. weasel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Um, He's also got that mustache, right? It's true. Uh, I mean, certainly we can think of various movies where there's like an ethnic heavy uh, character yes. that shows up, like the, the odd job situation. Where, oh, yeah. You know, where out of nowhere there's this uh, this this Asian uh, thug character who's working for the, the supervillain. And, uh, yeah, and there's a certain ethnic otherness that's wrapped up in their persona. Yeah, I think it's definitely there in James Bond. I mm-hmm. mean, we, there we get back into times when it was, I think, more okay to just overtly make your creeps somebody who's, you know, vaguely foreign. Yeah. Um, and, and it's there because a lot of times in, in James Bond, you'll have a creep who is some kind of vaguely foreign or overtly foreign creep who also just watches the watching, you know, who yeah. doesn't talk much like odd job. He just stares at you he doesn't say anything that mm-hmm. that is i think pretty standard creepy behavior right. watching without talking but it can also it's equally uh, can be described as someone who simply does not speak your language yes and, and is at a loss to interact yeah there you go um you know there are plenty of other i think characters that come to mind of like creepy foreigner stereotypes um there's Ortega. Do you remember Ortega from one of the MSTs? Oh, yeah. From uh, the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Yeah. There was kind of this weird, uh, like racist Latin American kind of uh-huh. concoction. Uh, Pepe Le Pew. The, uh, okay. the, the, the French skunk from the cartoons. No, Pepe Le Pew goes definitely beyond any ambiguity of threat. Like, Pepe Le Pew is a rapist. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is he's he is actively chasing down the uh, was it a dog or a cat? It's a cat. Yeah. yeah. I think Bruno and Borat are both uh, strong examples of this. You could make a case for uh, Hannibal Lecter, as we see him in the TV show, as having certain uh, ethnic otherness to him. Hmm. I don't know. Is Hannibal creepy? Is Hannibal Lecter creepy? He should be, shouldn't he? he? He's in that Don Draper mode, uh, uh, exactly. Area, I think where we we kind of waffle back and forth between finding him just endlessly, um, almost seductive. You know, he's like a vampire. But then he, you know, he's also creepy. There's almost a certain level of confidence in one's behavior that preempts uh, some a- amount of creepy characterization. Like uh, one of the things we were reading about in uh, you mentioned earlier, that New Yorker article, which mm-hmm. talks about the inherent self-consciousness of creepiness, uh, which is, uh, again, in opposition to one of the things that was found in the study we talked about, you know, where people don't think that creeps know they're creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in that New Yorker article, uh, there was a section about how, you know, the, the, the constant self-consciousness we have is is itself kind of creepy, like being very self-conscious about your behavior can lead to creepiness. Yeah. I mean, to bring it back to Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter is less creepy than uh, than Buffalo Bill. Right. Because Buffalo Bill acts less sure of himself. Yes. And uh, in, in, in less in control of his uh, his his persona. Yeah. Though I guess Hannibal's probably creepy once he. Well, no, he, I was going to say he's creepy once he starts eating you. But then he's just outright terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. There's so maybe there's less uh, less twilight there. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you have it. Some uh, some food for thought there at the end, uh, <laughs> uh, cannibalistic or otherwise, about the creep, uh, about how we perceive the creep, why we perceive the creep, and what the creep means. We got to come back sometime and actually do an episode about clowns. Yes, yeah, I, I would totally be game for that. I, I, I think there's there's some good uh, resources out there, and I have a I have a lot of personal thoughts on the matter. We're gonna shut down your creepy clown names. <laughs> <laughs> all right. In the meantime, head on over to stufftoblowyourmind.com. That's where you'll find all the podcasts. Podcast episodes, you'll find videos, you'll find blog posts, and you will find links out to our various social media accounts such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, uh, you name it. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, as always, you can email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Is getting gas at Exxon burning a hole in your wallet? Get the Drop app. With Drop, you can earn free gift cards just by filling up your tank. Download Drop now. Use code DROP66 to instantly receive $5 in points. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. 
Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.